takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this episode, I have film, TV, documentary composer extraordinaire Jeff Beal for my summer flashback extravaganza. I promise we're almost through these things. We're revamping the website, hopefully. Uh, we are working on advertisements. We're doing all sorts of things. So it's taking a little bit of time. We'll be back online in the next couple weeks here. I've got some great interviews in the can already for you. So hold tight. Jeff is a, a great guy. He's seen so much success just since I've known him in the last uh, five years or so. And uh, maybe even less than that. Gosh, I think I've only known Jeff for two, two or three years now that I think of it. Uh, he just did the uh, Putin documentary, the Putin interviews by Oliver Stone. Yours truly has uh, some singing uh, in that uh, opening sequence, which is neat. I always like working with Jeff and his lovely wife, Joan. And uh, what else? What else is happening? Boy, Trump's going down. He's going down fast, going down with the ship. And I think the, whole, the entire uh, GOP is going to go down with him, which is fine with me, frankly, if you're if you're a a conservative Republican, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're not too surprised to hear me say it. But uh, thanks for listening anyway. I appreciate your support. Um, happy Monday, everybody. It's a lovely day here. It's not as hot as it has been the last few days. Been running the air conditioning all night, every night, which is great for a singer, as you all know. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of the week. Hope you enjoy this interview with Jeff. We did this about a year ago. And, oh, man, it's weird going back to the old files. You know, I just, I've, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sure I'm going to look back in a year and say, boy, I didn't know what I was doing in 2017 either. But all the tracks are combined. Like, I've got my voice track and Jeff's voice track all in one file. I've erased the original recordings, which uh, is not great. But, you know, you live and learn. That was the deal when I started this podcast. I was going to put everything up warts and all this this uh, original episode didn't even have a theme song yet so i jazzed it up for you hope you like it have a great day here's jeff yeah all right this is pretty good so uh, thanks again for having me my pleasure it is, so it's great to see you um now we were talking uh before i turned on the mics about how um when i got when i was driving over that it, you know, first of all, I've got to set the scene. So you live at Inagura Hills, which is really a kind of a trek from L.A. proper. Took me about, you know, almost an hour to get out yeah. there. And it's, it's a nice drive. It's a beautiful yeah. drive. Um, I know that you grew up in the Bay Area, went to school in New York, at Eastman. Terrific school. Um, and then, from what I understand, you moved back to the Bay Area for a little while. Yes, yeah, and uh, then and then out to California. Yeah, down from there. Here. Yeah. So, so so what brought you out to? Uh, did you move directly here to Agura, or how how did that? No, work out? it was a it was a circuitous path. You know, um, Joan and I had this game we used to play early in our marriage to try to figure out to, to keep a tally of how many apartments we had actually lived in. You yeah. know, and it was like I think after we got past ten, we just sort of <laughs> became a parlor parlor joke. You know. Yeah. But I, you know, I grew up in Northern California in a in a in the Bay Area, but out in the town called Castro Valley, which was very. It looks like this. I mean, it's. I feel like I'm a salmon sort of spawning upstream. Yeah. Living here because it was the rolling hills, the oak trees. They're a little green this time of year, but they're usually the the California brown. Yeah, that right. We know so well. But it's just, you know, when you're a composer, you can work at home. And, and I every you know, some people are city people. They get their energy from cities. And I'm much yeah. more of a nature guy. I just, you know, nature feeds me. It's just like I like the rhythm that it puts me in. Sure. Um, so, so yes, we landed here. Um, but the, the journey was hysterical. You know, I went to Eastman in Rochester, New York. Yeah. Um, Joan and I got married. I was literally a senior in college when you I guys married. Met, you guys met at Eastman? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's, we, a, that's a story I want to get back to. So yeah. yeah okay. We lived in Brooklyn for yeah. like two years. Then San Francisco for about five i want to say four or five and then came down here mm -hmm. yeah so. and uh and started out in studio city that was actually. my question yeah, yeah. so you're in, in town yeah yeah 
into oh yeah you had, you did ask it there was a question at the yeah like how did you get out here because yeah. uh, so many of my friends who are musicians and you know yeah. composers and we have mutual friends they they tend to live and work in the city yeah you know Hans has this huge compound in yeah. Santa Monica and yeah but that's just not your bag though no it's not in fact you know we we probably couldn't be more diametrically opposite in terms of our our approach and our style I mean you know. Uh, you know, when you and Eric were over here last last year for a House of Cards session, you yeah. know, Eric's jaw was just kind of dropping at my 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 the my, setup the setup because yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sort of a one man band. I'm just I'm a classic introvert, um, Omar, and I love being alone. So the idea of having a a studio like someone like Hans or, or many other composers do, where there's and like people five, milling around, five everywhere. guys milling around yeah. doing this, doing that. I mean, I can I've gotten to point in my age and my career where actually a little bit of help is probably what I'm going. That's probably going to be in the mix somewhere. Yeah. We're talking about doing something upstairs here, a little oh, studio really? B. Yeah, just for you know, there's all sorts of areas of orchestration and my concert stuff where I could use maybe an extra pair of hands. Yeah, I was really surprised when we came but, over for the string session that you said you set everything up yourself. Yeah, to do it. yeah. I can't be I can't believe that. <laughs> well, you know, and I. I loved it and I do you know like I I mean for me like so many of these things are part of the process you know um I love doing my love doing my own orchestration mm -hmm. um and I have this workflow in logic that enables me to stay in one program do everything mm -hmm. all the notation all the recording and yes literally I write the music in one room and then I come out into this big room and conduct conduct off a monitor yeah uh, the musicians go home and I go back in the other room where I wrote the music and mix it all together and I never leave that one application and you do all the uh, you do all the sections separately you do the brass section you do the strings you do the percussion yeah usually when i do a bigger score here it's recorded that way house of cards the lot the main live component is usually the strings right right um and then the, the rest are solos whether it's trumpet obviously i throw up a mic and play it right and things like that all the piano stuff i play playing as i'm writing so right right and you and uh when we met last we talked about the bass player Yes, son Henry. Yeah. Yes, Henry has played electric bass on the show off and on for me for the past four seasons. And he's away. He's studying, obviously studying music as well. Yeah, he's, he's going to University of North Texas right. studying jazz bass right now. Right, right, right. And and the, thank God he's a bass player, by the way. You know, <laughs> he started out playing trumpet, and you know, which is his my instrument. Yeah. And um, I was so thrilled when he when he found the bass, and and because you know, being a young trumpet player, I always thought the guys who always had a lot of gigs were the bass players. Right. They were not the trumpet players. That's Although right. it's a wonderful instrument, I love being a trumpet player. Yeah, if you can play bass or viola, you're going to be set. Bingo. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you did you um, like push the trumpet on him? How did that go? No. So no. there was no competition. No. No, I think he weird, chose it. You know, not at yeah. all. I think uh -huh. he probably you know. I think you know boys go through an evolution and young men go through an evolution in their in their um in their journey and you know I probably he was at the age where I want to be just like dad yeah. as, you know and yeah. and then they go through another cool phase in their in their adolescence where they figure out who they are and part right. of that as adolescence involved two things one that creative journey but also getting braces so <laughs> i never got sure. braces i have horrible teeth uh -huh. um and because it's hard to play trumpet with braces of course henry you know was uh we get he he got braces and uh during that time it was frustrating to play the trumpet he kept playing he was actually really, he's still a really good trumpet player but wow. but joan wanted to keep him doing music and and he had actually been we had seen him playing you know this is the video game game generation of course so we had guitar hero when he yeah. was when he was you know very, a young young boy and we just saw his fingers flying on that thing so joan got this idea to get him over to this school in agora hills i think it was called yeah it's called rock nation uh -huh. where they just teach kids rock and roll instruments and we got him on electric bass and drum kit he loved both both, but but as soon as that bass was in his hands, that was it. Really, he had found his instrument, and you know that's a very personal thing, Omar. I mean, that's what I love about it. I mean, for me, I can't imagine the trumpet not being my my main voice. You know, right, it's always sort of how I felt. Right, um, and and when you find out as an instrumentalist side, which is much different than a singer, because obviously a singer is a the instrument's baked into your to your body. Yeah, you got to wait around a little bit. Yeah, and, man, and, there, and then yeah. there's a process of discovery, I'm sure, with that, with the voice. Right. Yeah, physiologically, for sure. Yeah, but uh, that that instrument just suits him so well, and and his personality well. It's it was fun. It's fun to see what what his journey has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've got a I've got a as you know I have a three year old boy, and I ask a lot of people the same question: When when did you start him? On music, hmm. it's, uh, because I I I feel like the sooner the better. But then he gets frustrated at the piano, and you know we've got a piano in the house, and um, I don't want to push it. But you know, 
I don't know. What's the what's the secret? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think every kid's different. Uh-huh. Um, and I think also the type of learner is is an issue. Mm-hmm. With Henry, um, he did not respond as well. Of course, you always, you know, piano is like the gateway sort of instrument. Sure. All, all music making and it's sort of a natural fit for young people. Sure. Instant gratification. You put your fingers down and a sound comes out. Right. Um, which is great and it's visual which I think is also great for, for the young brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't remember the exact age, but um, in his grade school years, we found this program called Simply Music, which okay. was perfect for him. Here in Agora? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, it's sort of a franchise. It's like Suzuki or one of these sure. teaching methods. Sure. And, it's, and it's basically a, a method to learning that's based on both oral and visual learning. Mm-hmm. And, and it just... He he responded really well to that. Is it like play based and fun and yeah, it's it's mix of both. Yeah, Uh yeah. I I think it's you know it's you're really you're learning how to make music, Mm -hmm. but but it's 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 not quite the traditional piano lesson route. Right, a little more, a little more. Um, it's it's a little more based around um a, a different type of music making, and you know I think they get you. They get you into understanding how music works as well as learning traditional notation. That's something that I really struggled. The most fundamental part about music was the hardest thing for me. Oh, that's fascinating. It was really because difficult. I, I think I think part of, you know that's really interesting because I sort of came at it from a different way, being traditionally trained. Uh-huh. And when when did you start studying? Uh, well, really, for me, I never had formal piano lessons. Although I was always tinkering at the piano, and you had a piano in the house. There was uh, a piano in the house, which mm-hmm. I think actually, to answer your question in another way about kids, I just think having it around, yeah, right, is half the battle. Right. If they're around music, they're hearing music, and they have the opportunity to go play and make a little. And something. And it's been normalized for them, like it's just part of. That's that's they how wake it should up be. And there's a piano. There's a piano, so yeah. go go play something, you know, yeah. make some music. And part of the fun thing about living in this house and having this big room over here where I record is that it's much more natural to have music making happen in the house more than probably any area where, where else we live. And we just had a dinner party a couple weekends ago with a d- really good director friend and some mm-hmm. young composers mm-hmm. that I mentored uh, actually last summer at the Sundance Lab. And just it was sort of baked in that after the dinner party, we all went out into the into there and we all started playing songs and sharing. It was just really fun. And that fun. used to be so common, right? I oh, mean, yeah. I, uh, I've read, yeah. I, and, and it hasn't been in my generation, but no, I, 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 know, I know that in previous generations, for instance, in New York, an apart- if an apartment didn't come with a piano... It was it was extraordinary. Like it wow. was strange. Like you could rent an That's apartment great. and they'd come with a, with piano. a piano. And if it didn't, you're just like, well, yeah. who's going to rent this POS? <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense for New York because you know getting pianos. I know from firsthand experience. My first apartment in Brooklyn, I had a piano that was basically destroyed a, a banister on the way up the staircase, and when we moved out, was <laughs> taken out the window, you know, because I needed a piano. That's part, that must be part of it, yeah. Yeah. But that's just, we're just not a music but culture that way It's anymore. true, but, you know, I, before I forget what you said also about learn, the, the whole Plato thing. and yeah, the concept now, here, of music. Yeah, okay, yeah. so here's an interesting yeah. thing that, yeah. I, that I discovered in reverse about forgetting notation, because I have this sort of... Um, I have a very love-hate relationship with the writing down of music now because as technology came out, and also because I'm a jazz player, so mm-hmm. I always lo- I always love the sound, and I work from I wor- I love working by ear and and trusting that versus like laboriously sort of mapping something does out. Does that on a have piece to do with your improv? Imp- I'm sure it does. Yeah, because uh, uh, I I'm, I'm, you're not constrained by what I have an improvisatory mind, and right. so so when technology came about and we had the ability to literally improvise into the computer. Mm-hmm. And to really let sound guide the creative process as opposed to sitting in front of a piece of paper. Look at the math, yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved that because to me that's really where music lives. Mm-hmm. That's where it all lives. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how it came out long before it was written down. It lived a sound. So mm-hmm. so for me, even now, I mean, although a lot of the music that I do has, a, has to eventually be notated, mm-hmm. I always feel like when I'm putting it back down on paper, it's so it's like I'm retranslating right. the idea and the feeling. It feels like such an imperfect process right to put it down into notation right right you know and and one of the fun things i learned from working like recording for example mm-hmm. recording musicians are especially the guys i work with here in los angeles are so sophisticated and right. so talented mm-hmm. i actually learned very early on not to give them too much information on the page like they actually did better and i got better first performances and better interpretations often when i didn't tell them how to how to phrase it? How to articulate it? I mean, obviously, basic things like dynamics. And if there's sure, sure. if there's if there's a phrase that's really has a specific type of slurring, I'll give that to them. But it's really amazing to me to see how little sometimes I can give them, and they it's better 
like they don't have to sometimes when you put something down on the page then then there's a whole discussion right oh what kind what of an accent mean? is right. this and blah 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 and then all of a sudden you know you're talking about it instead of just doing it and i right. that's my thing yeah like a jazz trumpet player that i've always been in the process has always been like that's that's the zone for me it's well like, you know what that does too is it creates ensemble well no that's true because because ensembles and musicians you know they're like a flock of birds they have an innate ability to sort of gather and fly all in the same direction mm -hmm. if they're if they're professionals they that's know right. how to do that that's right uh, but it's a non-verbal a lot of it's non-verbal and it's just sort of instinctual yeah and, and that, I bet being in your house really facilitates your attitude and totally. You know, the, I mean, being yeah. relaxed and totally. Yeah, I, 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 I do enjoy that. I mean, you know, I've had some young young composers like, is it, a, is it a problem living so far out of out of the way? And I'm sure there's certain people that you know they drive to Jeff's house for a meeting. And was like, I can't believe I have to travel all the way to Gore Hills. Oh my god, you know. But once I get here, I never, I've never heard anybody really complain about oh, that oh, that's because. Beautiful. And I think the same thing from the musicians. I mean, yeah, God bless them. You know, they. They do sort of schlep to, to come to come work, but we always have so much fun. Um, I wanted to talk. Uh, I'm kind of a left turn here, but I, I on my way over here, <clears throat> I was listening to Salvage Men, and um, I'm not listening to it, but reminiscing about the performance that you gave at Disney Hall, um, and how impactful it was, and how beautiful the the voice leading was for the singers. Um, and I, I prepared a little bit before I came. I Honestly, and I've said this before in other episodes, I tr I try not to prepare too much. I, I like that. I think that's a good I strategy. I prefer to to look it's like jazz, baby. Yeah, and I, I don't mind looking like a fool. That's part no. of the point yeah. of this podcast. And yeah. you may have answered. Well, you, I this thought question. you were a genius. Isn't that, aren't you the genius? <laughs> no, you're the genius. Oh, oh. I'm living with you for an hour. Okay. Um, and I know that your wife Joan is a soprano. Yes. And you guys met in school, and I'm. I guess I have a, a comment more than a question. I'm surprised that you haven't written more soprano repertoire. I, I thought that maybe you would have done that to kind of favor, uh, get, get in good graces with Joan. I'm surprised that you haven't written, that I know of, I may be totally wrong, but I, it doesn't seem like you've written that much vocal music. Um, and after listening to Salvage Men late last year, I think it was November, um, I thought, well, why why aren't there song cycles? Why aren't there, why isn't there an oratorio? <laughs> why, what's, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. There's, it's a very small bin right now. Is that something you're interested in pursuing? Yes, totally. Uh -huh. And um, you know, it was, it was. I love writing for the voice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it's funny because I think there's a couple threads that make it feel pretty natural for me. One is, one is actually the trumpet because I, uh, the trumpet is a very vocal instrument. I think sure. you know, all wind instruments are vocal. And and my my trumpet teacher, my trumpet professor at East Eastman, Barbara Butler, was wonderful, and we talked a lot about breath and singing and line and mm -hmm. it's really all about all about that mm -hmm. and um i also in my day job write a ton for strings and i i always feel like the string orchestra is really a, a stand-in for 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 a choir mm -hmm. i mean it's the, all instruments are really stand-ins for the human voice but well, the trumpet in particular where you, yeah. you know your lips really form the vocal folds yeah and exactly they, they vibrate and Yes, and the bell air is the, moving. It's exactly, air the same. is moving. The only thing is the valves. That's the only thing that's different, really. It's really true. Yeah. You know? I mean, I would say the trombone is probably the closest brass instrument to the voice in the way that it produces sound. Yeah, you that's know? interesting. I hadn't mm -hmm. thought of brass instruments as really being that close, but you're right. Yeah. Exactly. No. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, vocal cords. You, the it's brass a is a resonator, and yeah, lips are the vocal folds, and there you go. You blow air, and you make sound. Yeah, that's it. But I think you know what part of part of the thing joy of writing that piece, and why I'm going to do more is that um, I love the voice, and I have not written as much for the voice, and I want to write much more for the voice. Mm -hmm. uh, I also love text, and I love story, mm -hmm. and and the Salvage Men really came out of a sort of 15 year. Uh, quasi drought in my concert output. I just was so busy writing scores, raising a son, mm -hmm. dealing with my health. You know, I have mm -hmm. MS. Right. Uh, you right. know, so that's that was a new information nine years ago. So mm -hmm. that you know takes sucks a little bit out of every day. Mm -hmm. But I had this nagging thing about two years ago. Um, when I, and Joan's been nagging me for years to write, you gotta write concert <laughs> music. You gotta write for the master crowd. I said, I know. And I, and I just kind of looked at her. and Said, you know what? I got to do this. It's like gotta gotta act you know yeah and and but but i and i knew i wanted to write for the for the master corral i knew i wanted to write for voices what was the relationship with, with did you ever i didn't have one grant or no i um i, I met see. him through joan but it was funny um 
Grant's wife, Alyssa, came over. We did this crazy promo for House of Cards. I think it was season two. I did an arrangement of a Sting song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it off the, off the off the top of my head, of course. But um, and we had a choir on it, and Alyssa came to the house, and through that. I think Joan and I had already, I'd already mentioned this to Joan and Alyssa said, oh, Grant's a huge fan of House of Cards. I thought, okay, great. There's my intro yeah, to Grant. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. my intro to a lot of people. Um, yeah. I just got an email. I just sent a copy of the soundtrack to Leonard Slatkin, who Holy we're talking shit. about doing something in a couple of years. And, oh, you, oh, you're going to make, are you going and, to make a symphony or something? Uh, yeah, well, hopefully. Themes? I think he's, um, uh, he had contacted me about a year ago about a program he's going to do in Detroit that's going to feature concert music by people who also write for the screen. So uh-huh. it might be a new work or something. But you know, I was with people like that that you respect so much and who are so wonderful and such obviously great collaborators. Sure, you want to sort of just go for it. Yeah, go for it. And also, yeah. it's like you know, I haven't I haven't written him in quite a long time. Yeah. And, let me send him this, you know, and you know. So he just wrote right back, and it was, it was. I've been so lucky in pursuing concert music that that to have a visibility now as a film composer, especially with with a show like that, yeah. that that a lot of people know. So that was pretty much my intro to Grant, and and he took it on faith. Really, I sent him a bunch of music, mm-hmm. concert music, um, and but but what I was getting to about this idea of the voice, it's not only the voice; it's also text. And I realized this past, you know, 25 years or so writing film scores, mm-hmm. I, it's all been about storytelling. Yeah. And it's what I love about music. I love, me, I love being a composer when I'm telling some sort of a story. Even yeah. if I write a concert piece that has no text, there's always a story in it for me. Programmatic just, in some way, yeah. Yeah, that's just, where my, that's just where my musical brain lives. So, this, so for me, I felt like because I had not really engaged it that, that regularly over the past really 15 years, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a little thing here and there, I felt like, if I have a text and a story, then I can then I have a way in to figure out what I'm what I'm going to do. Where did the text uh, uh, Where did the text from Salvage Men come from? A couple that... places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the first first movement is uh, a, a an excerpt from Oscar Wilde's uh, De Profundis, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful letter he wrote from prison. And then the other four movements are poems by this amazing Northern California poet K. Ryan. Did you commission those? Those, no, those were existing those were works from a I collection. See. I was looking for text to pair with with the wild. I kind of knew what the piece was going to be about. It was going to be sort of about catharsis and mm-hmm. and um, and uh, uh, another writer friend of mine, Mark Salzman, mentioned Kay's Kay's work to mm-hmm. me, and I started reading her poetry. And it's like, oh, she's like, this is spot on. She's mm-hmm. perfect. Kind of very spare language, kind of a little bit of sense of humor, you know. Just yeah, yeah. So I, I I get the sense too that I know I know some other um, film composers as well, and I've worked with a number of them. And um, one in particular, I, I just premiered a piece of his uh, over the last summer in South America, and um, and I I kind of get the feeling that you're similar in that you seem to be really fulfilled with the work that you do in film and television, and that it's. <laughs> I know some people also that are kind of frustrated that they, you know, they study to be classical musicians yeah. and they're stuck doing this other thing. Yeah. And they really want to do this instead. Yeah. Um, I don't get that sense from you. I get the sense that since I've known you, which which hasn't been that long, it's six months or so, but you seem really content with the work that you produce and are excited about new opportunities, not as a reaction to some disappointment and other yeah well, i mean first of all i mean you've had terrific success in what you do and that that helps um but does that does that seem to ring true to you i think you're right no i think i think you know um i i have not i've never you know the, the whole idea of the big the big budget big feature film world the big brass ring that's mm-hmm. never sort of been the 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 goalpost for me, mm-hmm. the goalpost for me has always been, I want to work on cool stuff right. and tell really cool stories. It's not like you have a tome of symphonies that you want to get to and you're just frustrated that you yeah. haven't made it there. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe. But maybe that's what's coming next. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I do feel an urge to write concert music. So, um, but, but, but what I've loved about working in film and what I still love working about film is it's so collaborative. And, and when it's like playing in a great band. It's funny because you, know? you mentioned that you love being alone. Yeah, but collaboration I know. Isn't that is strange? Thing. Well, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is this is classic introvert. Classic introvert. It doesn't mean introverts are not antisocial. Uh-huh. They just prefer small groups. Well, my, you know, I, I have the best job in show business, Omar. I mean, have you ever been on a movie set? Yeah, sure. But it's it's like organized chaos, and it's the most boring place in the world. Yeah. And and I can't imagine. I can't imagine before it gets to me all the heavy lifting that goes to make a show. Yeah. But by the time it comes to me, it's literally me sitting in a room 
with with a with a film, right? With a few actors, right? Or in the sense of the collaboration, it's me and a few people in a room. Yeah, you know, it never gets probably much more beyond five or six. Which, Despite the fact that it's a tremendously artistic, like for exactly instance, Pollock was just a masterpiece, and so you get to sit in the room. Yeah, after this whole well, thing's Ed been Har- done, exactly. Yeah, you know, Ed Harris, you know, he's built a studio and studied painting for you know four yeah, years and blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really feel like a film composer, we, you know, we just have such an amazing job. I mean, because so much work gets done before it even gets to us. Yeah, yeah. And so in, the, in, a, in a way, there's a downside to that, which, which I'm seeing in the concert work where I'm having to originate the work. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's much more heavy lifting, but, I actually, but the heavy lifting is actually kind of fun, too, because it's conceptual. The heavy lifting is conceptual. That's you have right. to decide what is the structure I'm going to create? Well, there's what more is the making world? involved. Exactly. There's a lot more making. What's the yeah. world I'm going to build? Right. How am I going to build the world? I mean, right. I'm just, what does it mean? Why am I doing this? No, yeah. I'm just I'm just starting this this new commission for the Brooklyn Youth Chorus where we're adapting a book about um, Eleanor Roosevelt and Polly Murray, and it's huh. an amazing story. I mean, this could be like an opera someday. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't who knows where this is going to go, but we're starting small. But already, you know, I'm just looking at the world of this story, and it's just like an amazing jigsaw puzzle that yeah. I have to sort of figure out what what are the right pieces to pull and out. And you have to decide the story that you're telling and why yes. you're telling it. Which, But that's fun. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's, fa- that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, I, again, I want to go back to – tell me – you know, I, I mention these things, and then we get off on a tangent, and we talk about these other interesting things, but then – I, this this kind of thing sticks in my craw, and it's a story that I haven't heard you tell, as far as I know. I, I don't know it. What? How did you meet Joan? Tell me the story about that. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh, I was living in San Francisco as a high school senior, getting ready to go to Eastman School of Music. Yeah. I'd been accepted. Yeah. And I was thrilled because that was my first choice of school. They had everything I wanted. They had a great classical program, composition department. Uh, a jazz program, and even they taught film scoring there. So it was like it yeah. checked off all the boxes. Really ahead of its time. So before I went to uh, Rochester for my first year, I get this letter comes in the mail, and totally unannounced, and it's from this gal named Joan, and mm-hmm. she describes how she has been assigned to me as a big sister on the orientation committee. Uh huh. And I don't know if they still do this, but it's very sweet, sort of, you know, the nice one-on-one gesture. thing. One-on-one wow. thing. They they have an orientation because it's Eastman's a small school, small student body. Probably the incoming class is I don't know, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. So they write letters to the class, and there's actually you go out for a week of orientation before classes start. Mm-hmm. And so there's a committee of upperclassmen who sort of their job is to welcome the new people. Mm-hmm. So she wrote me this wonderful letter. And part of the things you have to know about Joan <clears throat> is that she's a wonderful writer. And a good writer, you can really meet through their writing. Yeah, yeah. And and this, I just read this letter, and I was kind of already smitten by this person. <laughs> I mean, uh, she was, she she's Joan, although being a fabulous, fantastic soprano, um, her father was a trumpet player, and just like our son Henry, growing up, that was the instrument she played. So she grew up as a trumpet player. Oh, wow. Okay. At the end of this letter, Omar was 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 the the money line. She said. So I hear you're a trumpet player. Are you a fan of Maurice or Miles? <laughs> and I would say at the end of that sentence, my life partner decision was sealed. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but really got the wheels turning. There was no girl I had met in my 18 years of growing up who knew who those two people were, Marie Corps, Maurice Andre right. and Miles Davis. This gal did. And that was like you know, the, the the heavens opened up, I guess. The geek, the trumpet player geek heavens opened up. So I went to Eastman, met Joan. We sort of pout. We sort of so became wait, wait, friends. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you... I, oh, I, I, there's more. Yeah. yeah. I, I wrote her back. Okay. Wrote her back. I wrote her back. She has, we has these letters somewhere. I can't remember what I said. Do you, other flirt, than, do you flirt with her a little bit? I, I'm not a flirty guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not a recreational flirter or dater. Yeah. You know, and, but I did say at the end, I wrote her a nice letter back and I said at the end, she says, she remembers this. I don't remember writing. It said, lots of love, Jeff. There you go. That's kind of flirty. That's kind of flirty. It's a little huggy. Oh, right? it's yeah, it's forward. A little, little, little <laughs> bit of a bit of a flirt there. So maybe I was. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I thought, who knows? Uh-huh. I haven't seen her picture. Maybe she's cute. <laughs> uh, but um, so you went. So you saw her the first time. Tell me about that. Yeah, and, and so you, you know, get it, to school. Uh, we met, and and I'll tell you the, the the second the second sort of aha moment was during the orientation committee. They put on this fun little musicale yeah. on stage, and then she, I saw her sing on stage as Princess Leah in some funny they did were doing some silly star wars ripoff or something yeah. she sang on stage on a white dress in eastman theater yeah and that voice 
I heard that voice and I was like, that was sort of part two of falling in love. With yeah, Joan. I mean, when you when you were on your way physically to the school, did you have some feeling like oh, I really want to meet this girl? Like, you know, it wasn't like that. Know? I mean, I, I and 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 I think we even met socially, and it was like, hey, yeah, nice to meet you. Oh, okay, but you know. Uh, it was sort of evolved over a few months. You didn't build it up into something. No, anymore. no. It was certainly no. It was there was no expectation of anything, anything roman- even romantic about it. It was just like, hey, I've, I know somebody that 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 knows who these Trump. Uh, I thought, uh, it was more like, wow, East Memphis would be a place crawling yeah. with people like this. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was more like oh. just the excitement about the whole world I yeah. was going into. Yeah. And uh, but but over the course of a few months, we started to spend time together. She heard me play at a jazz club. I think that's when she kind of fell in love with me she heard me improvising on the trumpet uh-huh and and you guys started dating that year that year the I first went, year there i went home for th- for thanksgiving break with joan and and three years later as a college senior i was married oh my god yeah that's incredible <laughs> so you guys have really been on this tremendous journey together the whole time yeah i mean it's that's, you're so lucky it's a gift i'm telling you i mean i i I, I don't envy my, my single friends or our you know I'm we're sort of of course old enough to see people go through a, a marriage that doesn't work out right. I don't I don't envy any of that I feel so incredibly lucky right. to have a real partner a real soulmate <clears throat> it hasn't been a picnic it's never a picnic you know mm-hmm. you go through so many changes over the thirty plus years we've been together sure sure but the thing we share is this wonderful connection that was before any of the the adult stuff you know mm-hmm. that can sometimes you know it, it there's an innocence i think to youth which is wonderful right there you're not encumbered by all the cares of the world and material stuff and right. career stuff all that angst i mean meeting somebody in school is really kind of a special place to meet that's somebody. right that's right how do you navigate um friendships nowadays i mean it's got to be hard with um you know our mutual friend eric has the same has the same problem. I think that's one element of our very strong and close friendship is that we knew each other yes. way back when. Yes. And, you know, I don't really want anything from him and vice versa. And yeah. So we just have this friendship that yeah. is independent of the Eric Whitaker machine. Yeah. How do, do you, you seem to navigate that well. I mean, when we met, um, I, I feel like you're just a cool guy and you like to have fun and uh, do do you ever run into things where you're like oh man this is tough or this guy's calling me for something or you know i uh, socially i'm probably pretty naive about that well that's good which is probably a good way to be because i like to believe that people are just say what they mean i do too The, the hard thing that i i that that still is hard for me because i i have a real problem saying no or not not um indulging you know requests and i i there's a certain point in your life and career and visibility where you just get more more requests for your time and energy and and mm-hmm. can i take you out to lunch can i take you to coffee i mean they're just they're overwhelming mm-hmm. and um you know uh it, it, <laughs> we were just watching curb your enthusiasm like for the gazillionth time yeah, the other yeah, night and yeah. there's a great episode where where Larry's mother dies when he's away, <laughs> <laughs> shooting a uh, shooting a, a scene for Martin Scorsese, and they don't tell him because yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know. Yeah. So he gets home all mad, of course, because they haven't he missed the funeral because sure. they're Jewish, and it happens like the day after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but there's there's this light bulb moment when he he's he gets, needs to get out of some dinner party that they want to ask him to, and that Cheryl she says, "Well, you call him, I don't tell." And so Cheryl gets on the phone, and she goes, "Oh, his mom just died," and Larry's eyes light up, right. <laughs> So for me, you know, this is this is sort of gallows humor, but but you know, when I was diagnosed with MS nine years ago, yeah, um, you know, it became very apparent that you know uh, I have like a seventy percent full gas tank every day. That's what I get. You know, people, normal people have a hundred. You know, so whatever a 50, normal fifty-two-year-old man has, I have a percentage of that in energy and time. So it gave I you know it gives me an excuse to need to use sure. the, to to use the curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, now that your son's I in say, college, you don't have that anymore. I mean, at least I've got a yeah. three year old where I can and say we can't come because he's throwing. Yeah, me. yeah. So 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 part <laughs> of the social boundaries things I think we all struggle with as people and as professionals um, is to sort of how to say no delicately. So I will use that occasionally if I need to. But you know what's interesting, Omar? I don't think it's as much as what it means to other people because I don't use it that often. I don't yeah. say it that often because I feel like that's making it more about me and not fair. I mean, listen, everybody's got something, right? Right. right. But what I think it has done is it's giving me, I'm able to forgive myself more about not being able to say yes to everything. That's right. And that's been, that's been that's huge. That's a real gift. 
that is a gift and it's something I'm still working on. Yeah. But you know, like, and, and it's funny because I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of close friends, but you know, even though Eric and I sort of knew, we did know each other sort of before because we knew him and Hilla here before when he was just sort of starting out and sure. doing his first little workshop. Right. And, right. And though we have a friendship now, I have to say this little circle of, with Eric and you is actually, I'm so, I'm actually sort of most excited about some of these friendships because I feel like our worlds are, f- are safely enough apart and not doing exactly the same thing that mm-hmm. we can have this connection that isn't that isn't sort of aspirational yeah, or trying to get related. something yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. always that's always sort it's of like drag. messy yeah drag yeah, yeah i agree you know it's funny too because i actually we all of us composers we are sort of like all lone wolves mm-hmm. the funny thing is i i and i don't feel like this is in all the composer communities i think in general my perception of sort of the classical composer community has always been like maybe that's a little more of a snarky world or a little more. It's, you mean in that it's highfalutin or you yeah, mean it's more backstabbing, or, backstabbing or, uh-huh. or just more competitive in some uh-huh. way? I mean, like as a friend, uh, this guy from Eastman said, you know, he goes, "Well, the reason the politics are so bad in academia is because the stakes are so low," you know, <laughs> you know, or something. I miss, I'm, I just mangled the quote, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like in film, I think I I what I was getting to was I. I I, I have a lot of good friendships with a lot of other fellow composers because yeah. I, I don't think any of us really feel like we're competition for each other. And even if you, you know, even if well, I, we I almost I have a common common I don't want to say enemy, but a common you know sort of antagonist, which is our client, which right. we're always trying to please and not get fired by and, right. and help and talk right. to, and it's a struggle to, often to get to the finish line. And so we kind of have that shared experience of our work, which is right something we love but also a shared sort of struggle that we all can have empathy for each other for and support each other as right. friends right well i have uh, i've got a peculiar sense of what uh, competition is uh, hmm. generally in my oh, life give me your give i me your... well i've always honored my competitors because it's yeah. the competition that drives you to yes. be the best that you are and you can celebrate each other for, oh, for that i love and this I, and i, I don't understand this. the people yeah. who have the mentality that y- your success equals my failure Yes, and that that is the antithesis to me of what competition is, um, and it's um, that's another that's another thing that I try and sift out. That you know you you always run into toxic people and people who judge themselves yes. based on your failure or yeah. your success. And this is part of the danger of the age of social media when everybody knows what everybody else is doing. I mean, I kind of glad that I grew up at least a few decades blissfully unaware of how much else was going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason I didn't move to L.A. till I was 30, Omar, mm-hmm. is I've always felt really passionate. Part of the reason I like living out of Gore Hills a little further away from the center uh-huh. is, you know, my, you know, like, you know, you know, like Wayne Gretzky says, always skate where the puck is, is and not mm-hmm. where uh, skate where the puck is going, not where it is. Right. And I feel like my puck sometimes is a light, slightly different than the, the 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 place a lot of other people are skating to. And for me, you know, my puck's a little, you know, is is my everybody has their own puck, right? Yeah. To use that metaphor. Yeah. But but for me, you know, worrying about what somebody else is doing often is not only uh, you know sort of uh, n- you know non-productive and sort of bad juju. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't get you anywhere because it, it, it gets you chasing somebody else's career, somebody else's solution when you really. The really work you, what you the real work you need to do is find find out what your 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 voice How is. Do you, that was my next question. I you know I listened to a lot of your music in preparation for this. The difference between Blackfish, the difference between Appaloosa, the difference. I mean, they're all disparate stylistically. Um, I don't really know what my question is. I mean, how, how I do you, you develop a, your voice? I, I, I just want to ask you, when you figure out what it is that, that I do, <laughs> please let me know because I don't have a freaking clue. I'm telling you right now. And your choral music, that, that, that yeah. piece didn't relate to anything that no. you've done. Does it sound like, did that sound like me though? Yes, it did, but I don't know why. Yeah. I think, well, okay, here's the deal. I, th- I think I know the answer to your question. I was sort of sort of half, half, half playing with you yeah. here. But because um, I was just curious what I, I think there is a probably a way where you can actually deconstruct that question all the way down into like Shankarian analysis exactly. and musical theory. Yeah. And you can actually have a very rational answer. But I think the, the, the more irrational answer is probably truer in which I think the, the thing of finding your voice and, and part of what I love about doing film mm-hmm. is that film music does not work unless it comes from some place of truth because uh-huh. it has to it has to emote. It has to tell a story. And 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 we all know a bad film score when we hear it. It we notice it, and and another thing happens. We feel manipulated by it, and that's the worst thing you ever want to happen have happen from your music. That's right. In a film, you yeah. want people to be moved. Yeah. Um. So how do you hit that target? Well, the way you hit that target, hopefully, the only way you can even hope of hitting that target, 
is to have it come from you. Have it. And, uh, this is this is my process. Everybody has them, but I'm very much sort of the method acting mm-hmm. process composer. Mm-hmm. So for me to, fi- to for me to tell the story honestly, I have to feel it. Do you watch a movie over and over and Absolutely. over before you score? I have to become that character. I mean, when I was doing Ugly Betty, I was a young you know, Spanish girl in Uh a poncho. I mean, you have to actually literally sort of, it's really about empathy and, and, and understanding part of, and part of what about film and what you sort of pointed to in the, in the variety in the work, which is what I love about it Mm because I'm a bit ADD creatively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, that's the thing. When you say you only have a part, a part tank in in the morning, I can't imagine you with a hundred percent. That's a scary thought. I know. (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Crazy. Um, you know, I'll tell you, that's something we should talk about. I want to talk about it because I want to talk about efficiency, and that's also why I've designed my workflow this way because I become an absolute obsessive person with not wasting time. And 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 we're, I've learned incredibly a lot. MS has really taught me not just how to work hard, but how to work smart. Right. 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 Um, and not waste time. And, and I, the only thing that really sort of pushes my buttons and I still struggle with is when I feel like people is just wasting my time and asking me to do something over and over again that doesn't, sure. you know, that's a tough one for me. Sure. Because I was like, well, here it is, yeah, you know, yeah. trust, trust the moment. And that's what I also work with my musicians that way. It's like, if it's right, if they play great the first time, great, let's move on. Yeah. I want your energy for the next one. Yeah. This is sort of a general human rule, I think. But to go back to this point of the honesty and the voice and the... Um, uh, where does it come from? What makes it sound like you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a pr- there. That's a discovery. I mean, I think that it's like the acorn and the oak. I think that seed is in you, probably from the moment you're born. In some strange way, it's mm-hmm. in, it's encoded in your DNA. A uh, music. We we know that music has huge ramifications in terms of DNA. Mm-hmm. We also know that the brain, a young brain. We were talking about your young kids. Mm-hmm. As the young brain develops, it's immersed in and making. All these millions of connections. connections. Yeah, so yeah, whatever yeah. I was immersed in as a young boy, the songs that were being sung at the family piano and at the church, the hymns that were being sung and the jazz clubs I went to, all that sort of informs you. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of fascinating when you just think about how original and different everybody's musical brain is, mm-hmm. Omar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as different as we all are as human beings. Right. Because it's a product of all of that DNA and all that environmental encoding that happens over someone's lifetime. So right. in a way... It's impossible. How could you not be you? I mean, how could you possibly? I mean, it's almost impossible. It's it's actually, I think, at the end of the day, harder to fake it than it is to be honest in a uh, way uh-huh. for a composer. I mean, I think it's I'm much more productive and creative when I'm actually in the zone being honest. Yeah, it's harder when somebody asks me to be somebody that I'm not. I mean, I, do you ever come up with writer's block and you just sit there? I and do. Like, what the fuck am I going to do? I only when I feel like people don't want what I think I can do in uh-huh. the way that I can do it, and they want it the way somebody else does it. So it's a hiring mistake at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is casting. It is casting, you know? So, so, um, you know, uh, and, and I, I enjoy the challenge up to a point. Part of what I love about doing film is being able to try on different clothes musically. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. It shows in your work for sure. You know, I, I love that. I mean, I'm eclectic. I think we're living, I mean, I just love the sort of the sort of multilingual musical world that we live in, now, right. that we all live in. And, you know, think about audiences. Gosh, they're so sophisticated. Yeah. Because we are just, you know... Inundated. We're inundated. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of musical vocabulary that is just floating around the universe is mm-hmm. just mind-boggling. And the, the, the technology really facilitates yes. uh, the creation of art from people who may not have had that opportunity otherwise. Yes. Without that training and lifelong Absolutely. learning. Absolutely. Did you see, did you see something. did you see uh, Straight Out of Compton by any chance? I have, no, I haven't seen I it. I love that movie yeah. because you know, it gave me, you know, I was always sort of a little disparaging, oh, hip hop, yeah, they're not it's not real music and I still yes. I still sometimes struggle with that. But me this, too. Me and too. that movie really helped me, Omar, understand where that music came from creatively. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, and and spiritually and emotionally, and that it's more legitimate than you had way you had more given credit, way more, uh-huh. way more. And of course it is, you know, because listen, music is music is your the, everybody has their song, and that's a well, a, I mean, in a, in an academic sense. Oh, in I an mean, academic you, sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, just, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, and I think look, it, it's it's either good or bad. I mean, you can't yeah. say anything about a, a, a style. I mean, there's some amazing. You know, hip hop and rap artists. It's funny that you sure. bring it up because I, I have an opportunity to interview a, a pretty prominent hip hop artist, and I, you know, and the person who wants to set it up for me has approached me a couple times. I think you should do it. And I'm I, so reticent because I, I just listen. I don't have that vernacular. I don't I know. know anything about I know. it. Yeah. Um, I think it would be interesting, but I'm really, 
I, I'm really nervous about it. I mean, I think yeah, I would be too. I would be terrified too, actually, for the same reason. I mean, look at us. We're a couple of middle aged yes. white guys, right? <laughs> what do we know? What know. do we know about that culture? I know, and the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the temperature in the room is kind of hot for that kind of thing right now. So I don't know if I'd really be offended. I think it's great. Or, this I, is I what know. we need. No, I think, you know, and, and going over and, you know, going in, you know, I think that's, well, Look at this is a conversation that 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 is happening continually in this country about race, right? About about economics, mm-hmm. um, opportunity, opportunity, mm-hmm. and it sprinkles over into politics. I mean, I've been you know I've been writing this. I'm doing this little a commission for the um, Here Now Festival in a couple of weeks. So they they invited me to contribute a piece for Electronics and Trumpet that mm-hmm. I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So I started writing this piece about 10 days ago and what came out really surprised me. And it's, it's very, um, you know, I call, I titled it anxiety option and it's all about, uh, you know, like sometimes as artists, like you said, taking the temperature, sometimes as artists, all we can do is just sort of respond to what's happening in the world. Yeah. And I was sort of, you know, at the end of my workday, occasionally flipping on the news and seeing some absurd political thing from Donald Trump. Or, or, why, why or. Are, that's my question. Why are you voting for Donald Trump? No, yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Did you, you saw those are the neighbor's signs, not mine, Omar. You know, and, and just, and not just him, but just the level of rhetoric and yeah. the insanity of, like, not only him, but what culture produced that, you know? And then also these horrible bombings in Belgium and France right. and these terrorists and that right. evil thing happening over there. Right. And and I and this thing that came out was all about this idea of fear. And the piece is really hopefully a meditation on finding calm in the midst of the storm, which mm-hmm. is what we all do. Mm-hmm. But this I fear. I think what I what I came to in the piece, what I discovered from writing the piece, and what came out of me, and what I was feeling, Omar, was that fear is an incredibly powerful emotion. More than more than anything. It, I yep. think it's it's yep. you know you got fear on one side and love on the other. And it's so and, base. They're both so base. And they are the primal reptilian responses. And when when you have a society that's that's in the economic malaise that we are now, which is this wealth gap growing wider and wider and wider. And, you and get don't a, forget anti-intellectualism. Anti-intellect yes. rampant. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And and so you've got a lot of fear. You've got a lot of an economic. Uh, resentment and into that into that storm you you get you get these politic these political extremism that's on right. either side that's right and 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 there you go yeah no i i i see i see that very clearly and um, what do we do as artists you know it's funny you know like we just you know you go sing i, I write music i mean it's 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 kind of absurd in a way no you know? well I, you know i have a i have also very a very particular take on that i i had to um i had to figure that out too when i was younger i was a writer and i, I still am a writer and then i mm-hmm. got into music and uh i used to be a painter as well and they all oh, have wow. a very common thread which is uh, i'm i personally am most interested in endeavors that define humans and separate them from the beasts of the wild. We are Amen. we are singular. <laughs> yes. We are singular yes. in the known universe yes. to produce work yeah. solely for our own understanding. Yeah. To make sense yes. of what we're doing, yeah. hurling through space. Bingo. Uh what it means. Yeah. And I think um I think in other words it's the for me it's the noblest um profession even if it's not a profession it's just the noblest activity that we can engage in the arts in general yeah and being creative um it's and so, i think that's the end i think that's the answer that terrorists fear the most exactly no it's almost like it's almost like the the on a bigger scale it's like the bully the, the bully the little bully who's just going around hitting everybody yeah because he's afraid yeah, no, it's absolutely true, and and I I do agree. It's funny because I'm I'm going to Philadelphia this weekend to give a TEDx talk. Oh, great! Something I never thought I'd be doing, nice. and I got my my manager found about this opportunity. I thought, well, what the heck? I'm kind of terror. I'm kind of really terrified by it because I like talking, but I'm not used to talking in a very scripted form with a PowerPoint. But it'll be fun. But what are you, you going to be talking? Well, about? here's the deal. Um, I'm talking a lot about about narrative and and the stories we tell, mm-hmm. the stories we tell about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And 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 how important um, what you it's just what you just said. It, it's this it's this idea of the fact that as humans, we have this amazing ability to to sort of step back from an abstract situation and conceptualize and conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
without giving you the whole thing, which would take 20 minutes. Well, but, okay. but basically, no, it's, 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 it's it, it, one of the things that fascinates me about uh, this, this subject is this whole idea of, of, of storytelling and the way we use, the way we can use fiction, one of the way we can use fiction to sort of practice for real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we tell, you know, look, look at, look at House of Cards. It's a show about a Machiavellian murderous, horrible person i thought it was a documentary yeah well it could be right (laughs) well that's the point yeah the point is our characters in fiction are often larger than life like walter and white and breaking bad or tony soprano or you know and they are often sort of exaggerations maybe of the human condition but there's a truth in there which we all see right and we all by 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 living vicariously through these situations and through these characters we're able to practice our own skills of of sort of forming narrative and forming emotional strategies and responses mm-hmm. and scripts in our own mind mm-hmm. that actually can help us when we go out into the world and have to face conflict and struggle and and it's 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 fascinating to me how much the human engagement with story can have a a, a negative or probably or 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 often hopefully a positive effect mm-hmm. in 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 real world and and music is that is all about that it's it's a, it's such an amazing process that we do where we we assert this unbelievable irrational act of beauty mm-hmm. and celebrate that that's right for no other reason no other reason just that it's beautiful and it's the same it's analogous to the way I, I view my relationships in, with people, um, where I, I'm, I'm okay, but it's the, the intervals that are created between my friendships huh. and the relationships I have with my family yeah. that make things meaningful. So in that yeah. way, I see music, again, in this global f- way uh, that is directly related to the way we get along with each other. Huh. Yeah. And uh, I'm just lucky to be in it. No, that's really true. It's beautiful. You know? And uh, I'll tell you, I love what you do. Thank you, man. You're killing it. Thank you, sir. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Omar. Well, there you have it, folks. Maestro Jeff Beal. Thanks for being on the show again, Jeff. You get uh, double, double your pleasure with that one interview. Um... Let's see. I guess, I don't know. I guess that's it. Hope you have great plans this week. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Remember to always be kind to one another. And as always, thanks for listening. Until next time. You like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get on to my show.